0: Hopefully, you know, honestly, we don't do much of that anymore. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Um, but it's about life in general because we're going to be corrected. If you have a job and you have a boss, you're probably going to be corrected sometime. If <laughs> if you're married <laughs> and you're the wife, you're probably going to be corrected sometime. And if you're the husband, you will submit <laughs> also. To the wisdom of your wife, and she'll show you some things, but um, it's just all across the board. So as I'm teaching this tonight, I don't want you just to think about church. I want you to think about all of life and every situation that you're walking in. Okay, let's start. Proverbs three eleven and twelve says, "My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights." So. All you kids down here, if your mom and daddy love you, they correct you. You're probably not going to believe this, but my mother, um, who is now 77 years old, did not have parents who corrected her. They were alcoholics, and they didn't even they didn't care what she did. They were all so drunk all the time, they didn't even know what she was doing. So my mother would make up stories at school about how strict her parents were because she wanted somebody to think that somebody cared enough to correct her. Okay? So if you have a parent who loves you enough to correct you, that's a good thing. Okay? Ecclesiastes 7, five says, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. We all like to be sung to and everybody tell us how great we are, but that's not the best thing. And then Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction... Is stupid. Okay, that's the word of God is stupid. So we don't want anybody leaving here tonight stupid, okay? All right. Um, I believe that one of the keys for our personal growth is the ability to receive advice or correction when we need it. If we want to learn and grow, we need to be open to the advice and correction from those around us. How we receive correction and discipline says a lot about us as people like a stubborn horse refuses to be led by the bit in his mouth and goes his own way, we can have that same attitude and not listen to those around us. All of us have to realize that we don't know it all and that we need the help of others at times. We were never meant to live this life alone, and God has placed certain people, not everybody, but certain people in our lives for our own good, Giving correction is part of their role at times, so let 's look tonight at, at both sides of this of this issue okay first of all, is receiving correction easy no. okay good, we all agree on that okay um, is it biblical yes. Yes. but it is biblical all right I think that one of the reasons that uh, we see correction why we see it is so hard is that we view it as punishment rather than discipline. Okay. Now think about that. Discipline is a good thing. Um, I'm going, I'm a, I'm a part of a whole program. I won't go into the whole thing at MUSC right now um, called the healthy Charleston challenge. And we all have trainers and I'm on a team and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, my, tr- my trainer's name is Laurie. And Laurie, a couple of weeks ago, for those of us who were faithful, I'm faithful, and showed up for workout on Friday, she gave us this little card of homework. On the card <laughs> was a hundred push-ups, a hundred sit-ups, a hundred squats, a hundred whatever those the lift things, wherever you do those things with your arms, dips, dips, like you know, twenty planks and all this stuff, okay? when we came back on Monday, she asked, did everybody do your homework? Well, there's this guy on my team named John. We won't even go into John. He's a whole lesson in himself, okay? But he's 53 years old and acts like he's 12. But anyway, um, so he says, homework? Oh, we didn't get homework. And I made the mistake of saying, well, John, if you would have been here, You would have gotten your homework because we all got homework. And Laurie looked at me and she goes, oh, but homework is a privilege. It's not a punishment. I was like, yes, ma'am. I said, I have learned authority. She's only 27 years old, but I call her ma'am. I was like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And she says, you have been given an opportunity to discipline your bodies and get in shape. John wasn't given that opportunity. You see, he missed it. Instead of having to do homework, you need to look at it as I get to do homework, okay? So I was thinking about that today. And another thing is that the other day I was so worn out. I was just, I mean, Lord, I can't even tell you all the things terrible things she had done to us, okay? And I just, she looked, she looked at us and it's like, okay, now we're going to do put this 15-pound sandbag over your head and you're going to, you know, do this. Oh, he's telling me terrible things. And I just said, I can't. And she said, oh, 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 oh. And because Tracy said we can't, we get to do it three times. So you don't ever, well, I wasn't the only one. The other girl dropped the sandbag, and because of that, we had to do 25 burpees. And if you know what that is, that's terrible. We won't go into that. Okay, so you see, when we say we can't do something, we're going to get more of it. So right now, when God looks at you and you say, you know what, I just, I'm, not, I'm just going to do it my way, and you're not correctable and you're not teachable, he's going to give you that test over and over and over again. And somebody told me this really good illustration the other day that, I, that the Lord just brought to my mind. They were telling me about how that when they got spanked as a, as a child, their mother would put them down on the bed like this, so that she wouldn't hurt. She wasn't doing it to be mean. She was doing it to, so she would make sure she didn't hurt him. You know how, like, you're putting your hand back there and you're getting your hand bit, beat instead of your rear end beat. And um, so her mother would have her put her hand out like that. And so we were talking about that. And I said, well, how many times did she spank you with the paddle? With a, with a paddle. And she said, she said, when you stop squealing, I'll stop spanking. And you know what? That's the way I believe that the Lord looks at us. And he says, see, when you stop doing the thing I'm trying to get you to stop doing, I'll stop having to correct you. I had a little son. His name is Clayton. <laughs> and he's a worship and a youth pastor now. But he would look at me when he was about two years old and he would say, shut up. And so I would take him the first time. He didn't know what was happening. I took him over to the sink. And I said, open your mouth, precious. (laughs) And I stuck the Dawn dispenser right in his mouth. Of course, he was like. "Eh, eh." And so every time, and it took about three or four times. You would think, smarter than that. Come on. Um, But it took about three or four times of doing that. You see, because if you keep doing the same correction, eventually that will stop. So the behavior, so I mean, not that he didn't have other behaviors because he did, but that one stopped after about three or four times of mouth, soap in the mouth. Well, that's the way it is with God. And tonight, some things are going to come to your mind that are probably areas that need to be corrected in your life. And the question is, if you don't want to correct him, nobody's going to make you you'll just keep getting the dawn squirting your mouth or leaned over the bed whacking on you till you stop. Okay. All right. So let's get, isn't that exciting to talk about? Okay. (laughs) All right. Hebrews 12, six says whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So if you love someone, you tell them what they can do to be better and stronger. That's what discipline is. Correction is disciplining you to be better. Um, Correction should be like this. If you're heading for a cliff, either physically, spiritually, emotionally, or relationally, that covers just about everything, all right? Physically, spiritually, emotionally, or relationally, if someone loves you enough to point out the cliff to you, that's not a bad thing. You see, that's a good thing. They love you enough to do that. Correction is not punishment. It's disciplining you to do better. So, all right. Do some people require more correction than others? <laughs> yes, they do. And I was one of those people. Okay. <laughs> temperaments, and, we, and I won't get off into the whole temperament teaching, but you know, there's four temperaments, choleric, sanguine, melancholy, and phlegmatic. Cholerics are those strong-willed, unyielding, argumentative, smart mouth overbearing people in the world who refuse to say they're sorry, they need a lot of correction. Now, they're the CEOs of the world, and they're going to do a lot of great things, but only if that can be harnessed in them. It's kind of like this whole lesson makes me think of horses. I know Kayla loves horses, but isn't it true, Kayla, that a horse, if it's not broken, you can't do anything with it? I mean, it's pretty and it's strong, but unless you can bridle that thing and get it to be able to be worked with, it's useless. Well, that's the way we are. And that's really kind of the way a choleric temperament is, especially. All right. Second person is a sanguine like me, too loud, too talkative, self-consumed, oblivious to the world around them. Everything's about me. Okay. Okay. That's the way a sanguine is. Now, do you think that person needs correcting in life? Oh, yeah, and I've got lots of stories I can tell you, and I'll tell you a couple in a minute. Okay, melancholy. See, my own little daughter, she raised her hand down here, bless her heart. Okay, moody, selfish, pouty, holds offenses, and overly sensitive. Now, those people don't behave the same way as a choleric, but you've got to correct them. You know, I mean, her propensity, I love her to death, you know, but she wakes up in the morning just, mm, mm, you know, and you just, you have to correct that. You just can't let a child walk around all the time mm, because they won't be successful in life. You can't keep a job when you walk into your work every day with an mm, attitude. Like I dare somebody look at me, you know, you just, you can't do that. That disposition will not make you successful. So she is, doing well to the discipline. She's blooming and blossoming and turning into a precious woman of God. All right, phlegmatics. Phlegmatics don't get in trouble near as much as the other three. That's Tyler Baird and Christy Youngblood. Okay, <laughs> those are the only two people I know. <laughs> okay, and they, don't, and they don't get in trouble much, but when they do, this is what they do. They get in trouble because they, when you say something, they'll go, yes, ma'am. And then go behind your back and do just the opposite. The clerical look at you and go, are you, have you lost your mind? Uh-uh, I ain't doing it. That's the, okay. The sanguine's not even paying attention, okay. So anyway, we're talking while you're talking. We're like, huh? I didn't even hear you. You didn't say that to me. Okay, um, but so the, every, every person's going to need corrected, but some of us do seem to be a little bit more on a regular basis than others. Okay, why do we need correction? First of all, new experiences. If you've never done something, you need help. You and, and this is what I don't want you to see correction as always like, Bill, you're really messing up on that man. You know, come on. <laughs> C- correction is, hey Bill, hun, l- l- let me let me help you with this. Let me you see that right there. Let me show you like a little bit easier way to do that. You see, that I don't see that as a hard thing, but there are some temperaments that if you even Allude to the fact that they may not be doing it perfectly? Oh. oh. So, but see, that's that's not a hard thing. So if you're in a new experience, you need somebody to help you. When you how many when you go to a new job, do you not have about two weeks of training? And sometimes, as they're showing your things, you're thinking, dear Lord, do they think I'm an idiot? I know. I know how to turn on the computer. But, you know, but they have to show you every little detail. And it depends on how your attitude, see, if you act like, oh, I mean, they're already going to think, oh, she's a troublemaker. See, I mean, you see, so in all these things that I'm teaching you, it's so that you can go through life better, okay? Um, whether it is a one-on-one correction, whether it's a message or a sermon that you hear, um, if you've ever been to marriage counseling like I have, I went in there thinking for sure they were going to tell Kevin Barrett all the wrong things he was doing. I'm thinking, I am so glad I'll, I'll pay $150 for you, Chip Judd, to tell him what he's doing wrong. Here we go. And that's not what happened. I was corrected. I couldn't believe it. Um, and, and he wasn't even nice when he did it. No, he was, I just didn't, didn't feel nice because correction doesn't feel good to me either. Okay. Um, And so whatever the situation is, we have to be teachable, okay, because it's a new experience. All right, now immaturity. Let's just say it this way. When I was a 22-year-old pastor's wife in Greentown, Ohio, (laughs) oh, y'all should be so glad that you get me at 47 instead of 22. Okay, um, I had a lot of zeal, but I had about zero tact, and I just didn't know how to If something wasn't right, I just went, no, that's not right. Don't do that like that. Don't, don't. Because that's the way I grew up. That's the kind of house I grew up in. Just just blurted out there. Well, see, it's not that I was a mean person. I was just immature in my skills of how to handle people. So correction had to be brought to me by my overseer's wife on how to be a better pastor's wife. All right, protection. Third thing. There's just some people in your life that are not safe, and there are just some places in your life that are not safe, and somebody needs to have the ability to look at you and say, I love you enough to tell you that this is not a good place, that that's not a good person for you to be around, and if we're parents of you precious ones down here, that's really our job, okay, and I know it makes you angry when you think, oh my gosh, you don't even know them, and you're judging them, you know what? It's our job to protect you, okay? Number four, blind spots. We all have areas in our lives that we don't see that need to be pointed out to us. These can be in the areas of attitudes, behaviors, actions, words that offend. Let me just tell you a story about myself. This is when we were on staff at Evangel. So by that time, I was about 27. And um you know, sanguine personality. I've told this story before. I don't know if the men have heard it. Um, And we were at a baby shower. Evangel had, you know, of course, a huge church. So you have a lot of baby showers. And I love to go to the parties. So here I am at all the baby showers. And uh, everybody's in the living room opening up the presents. And I step into the kitchen, which is just right there. You can still see into the living room. And I go in there just to get me something to drink. And somebody else comes in. And they start talking to me. Now, I'm thinking... We're just talking normal volume. The shower's going on in there. Well, pretty soon, I don't know what I was even talking about, but you know me. I am talking, honey. I am acting it out. I am like everybody's there. By that time, there's like eight people in the kitchen watching me, and I'm acting out. They're laughing. You know, we are having our own little separate party in the kitchen. So we, the, you know, we go on. We go to work. I go to work the next day. I was the secretary for the pastor's wife. And she pulls me in her office and she says, So, Miss Pris, what were you doing yesterday? Um, I I don't know. Uh, What was I doing yesterday? I was at church. (laughs) I'm like thinking through yesterday. No, I mean, what were you doing at the shower? Uh. I was at the, I'm, you know, I'm trying to come up. I was at the shower. I don't know what I was doing. She says, What was that whole little fiasco that you had going on in the kitchen? You see, I didn't see what I had done, but my personality and my sanguineness had taken away from the whole shower, and this poor little precious mommy that the whole shower was supposed to be about. There was like five people left in there with her, and there are 15 people in the kitchen with me because I was entertaining, you see. Now, was that my motive? My motive wasn't to be that, but you see, that's a correction that needed to be brought to me. Now, you see, some of you, even the look on your face is like, oh my God, I can't believe she even said that to you. Well, you know, maybe her delivery wasn't the best, but the lesson was right. When you have a certain... Personality, you got to realize it's not all about you, and you have to really. I have to think when I go in a room, keep your mouth shut. I do. When we have baby showers here and we're getting ready to have three, I literally have to think, sit in the chair and be quiet. Y'all can talk, and some of you will want to start talking to me over on the side, and I'm thinking, "Mm, let's watch, let's watch, let's watch, because I will never forget that lesson. You see, and, and that's a good thing. Don't, don't feel sorry for me. That was one of the most important lessons I've ever learned in my whole life, that it's not about me. It's about making others feel good about themselves, okay? All right. Uh, failure to pass previous tests causes you to have to be corrected. I wrote there, uh, I think it's on your notes, does it say frustration, anger test, servant test, time test, usage test. Okay, I have to go through these really quick. Um, there's a whole book called The Making of a Leader by Frank Damasio that Pastor has on a shelf. And it's it's like 12 tests that every leader has to pass. Most of them are, are from God. These aren't the same tests that pastor's been teaching on. But, um, you know, we, pastor ta- last week talked about frustration. And, you know, can you imagine if, if you're a leader and you get frustrated and you kind of, as my mama would say, show out. Can you imagine that pastor or I might have to correct you and say, you know, I mean, we all get ag- angry. But, see, when you're in leadership, you can't you can't. If, if well, I shouldn't say, we, we know, it's not that I have never, but we need to get corrected if we do that. Okay, just like me, quote, showing out at the baby shower. Okay, servant test. Sometimes if you don't pass the test of, uh, okay, we need some people to help in the nursery tonight. Who would like to be willing? And I would just like to say, I'm going to brag on Cindy Folsom here for just a minute. The other week, Rachel was gone to ski invasion. And for some reason, people who were t- t- scheduled to work in the nursery were all running late. And Cindy came in, oh no, Robert came in and was like, oh, uh, uh, we don't have anybody in the nursery and it's time for church and I got to be up there. And Cindy Folsom just turned around and said, don't you dare worry about it. I'll go. See, she passed the servant test. I mean, she wasn't even asked, she just did it. But see, when you don't pass the servant test, which is, hey, even this one, um, We need you to work in the nursery. Would you be willing to do it, Mary Jane, whoever? Hmm, no, no. I'm just not called to do that. I'm telling you, working in the nursery isn't fun. You know, they're blessing little kids, but you know, it's tiring. But would you want all those kids sitting in church while you're trying to hear Pastor Bear preach? No, you don't. So somebody's got to work in the nursery. So see, if you don't pass the servant test, then that may have to bring a correction as to when you say, how come, how come I don't ever get to be moved up into leadership? Mm. It's not like we're going to walk up to you and go, Karen Levitt, you know, we asked you to work in the nursery and you didn't do it. You know, it's not that we're going to say that. It's see, it's just, it's going to be like, oh, okay. You know, bless her heart. We love her. It's okay. But when she wants to know why she doesn't get to be in leadership, let's go, we'll see that little thing about. Not being willing to help. Okay, here's another hard one. The oh, the time test. <laughs> you all know how I feel about being on time and how pastor feels about being on time. If you don't pass that one, you can just hang it up <laughs> that anything ever is going to go. Isn't that true? All the staff members would like to say amen. Okay, um, let me just tell you something. Um, and this is the hardest one. And I want to be very careful how I say this. One time, this is many years ago, I had to correct my leadership team on being late because they were late a lot—not just one or two of them, but a lot of them. And uh, and I said, you know, and I put it off and put it off and put it off, and finally I did, and they all—they all were so precious. They were like, "Oh, I'm so, I'm so, you are absolutely right. You are absolutely right." We just, I got to get it together. And every one of them, except one, said, I, I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? I was like, yes, absolutely. We all make mistakes. You know, it's, it's okay. It's just something I needed to bring up to your, to your attention. Except one. Who, who is no longer with us? <laughs> um, but uh, And so after a few days, I, I called her and I said, "Do I just noticed that you were the only one who didn't say you were sorry about the time situation her response your point (laughs) I was like uh, my point is that we all make mistakes but you need to be sorry that you you know that you and you just need to say I'll do better I mean you know I just I just need to hear you say that well I'm just not going to say it Really, I will show you, words are meaningless, actions speak, but words are meaningless. Now, you know what, I I understand talk is cheap and actions mean something. If that's what she was saying, I understand that. But life and death are in the power of the tongue. And she was a choleric personality, and you see, the hardest thing for her to say was, I'm wrong and I'm sorry. But see, that has to be broken in all of us. For me to say, you're right, I talk too much. See, that's hard. It is, because Darius, you're like me. We're like, woo, party girl, party boy, you know. I mean, and it's hard to admit that, that we, but you know what? It doesn't mean that we're a mistake. None of us are a mistake. It just means in certain situations, we have to mold and shape to fit the situation, okay? All right, so, and then usage test. This is a hard one, okay? Usage test is when, when you feel like you want to be used, and you ain't getting used, and you want to know why you ain't getting used. Okay, this is the deal. <laughs> I was thinking about that. I was really praying about this, this morning. I was like, Lord, I want to make sure I deliver this right in a right spirit. And I was thinking about Mark Batterson, who was the speaker at our last conference that we went to, and how he talked about how that everybody in his church has a ministry. And so I'm thinking, really? Wow. So we ask him, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means he has seven different venues that every Sunday morning he has to set up. So, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you have to sit up and tear down seven places in Washington, D.C., every Sunday morning. So, yeah, when, that's how you get a 1,000 people with a job. You're setting up the chairs. You're roping off the nursery. You're setting up the cribs. You see, that's a ministry. but But people who have a problem with the usage test think that their ministry is either up there or right here. See, nobody nobody is saying, I sure wish you'd let me work in children's church, because I'm really wanting to do it, and you just won't let me. <laughs> I mean, we really don't have a lot of people coming up, I don't think, have coming up to Randy and going, shoot dogs, I really wish you'd let me be an usher. But you just won't let me do it. Or when we get to the new property, you know, Tim, I sure wish you'd let me help cut that grass or park those cars, or be the security guard that misses service and walks around out there and checks on the cars. Sure wish you'd let me do that. The people that don't pass the usage test are the people that want the upfront positions. And when you tell them, you know what, we'll have to see how God, what God does about that. But the word says for us to know those who labor among us, and we don't know you yet. So why don't you get involved? Let us get to know you a little bit better. And we'll see. Get involved in the the classes that we provide of of discipling, the discipling classes. And let's see what God does. You see, when they hit the road on that one and they say, Y'all are hard and I don't appreciate being corrected like that. What do you say to that? Right. So you just have to say, so, so, and please understand, I think that's a really important part. So if you ever have to get corrected... With, and this isn't just at church. Think about this at your job. How many people want to get the promotion? And if you don't get it, do you act like a five-year-old? Do you pout around for a week? You, seriously. I mean, think about this. This is in every situation. At school. At, at Just in everywhere we go. All these tests. So if you ever have to be corrected, the first thing you need to do as you're walking in the door, getting ready to sit down, is thinking, what did i what did I fail to pass before this, okay, all right, well, go ahead. who can correct us? Oh, I do want to say this about the about the other. you know, I know there's churches out there that the minute you walk in the door, if you let if you were teaching a Bible study at you know First Baptist Topeka, <laughs> and you walk in the door and you go, "I was a Bible teacher, they'll go, "Oh, well, here you go. You can teach a Sunday school class." I know that that happens in some places, and I'm not saying anything ugly about the pastors. This is the difference between our pastor and that kind of pastor. That kind of pastor is what you call a sheep facilitator. Seriously, these these are the terms, okay? A sheep facilitator versus a shepherd, okay? And some pastors feel like their job is to facilitate their sheep. And if that's what God told them to do, go for it, baby. I mean, that's fine. But that's not what God's told our pastor to do. He's called us to to shepherd His flock, to see the cliff and go, ooh, 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 honey, Denise, you're getting real close, baby. Come, on, come back over here, and and to do that, you have to go and talk to Denise. You know, you have to go to Miss, you know, to Miss um, Louise. Oh, I just had brain cramp there for a second. Um, you know, you have to, and, and that's scary. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Why it's hard to correct people because you want everybody to love you. But the question is, you got to ask yourself, am I a shepherd or am I a facilitator? Okay, good question. Okay, all righty. Why do we, no, no, no. Okay, who can correct us? In the secular world, that decision usually isn't yours to make. Police, judges, teachers, bosses correct you. If you don't obey them, you will suffer the consequences. Romans 1 says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. In the spiritual world, most of us have thought or assumed, listen, that we get to choose what church we go to. Didn't you think that? Did you think that? But let me tell you, in our Bait of Satan teaching, which is so good. Um, John Bevere pointed this out a couple weeks ago. He said in 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen, it says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. So if that's the case, and if we really believe the Bible, then we are going to take that seriously, then we don't get to just up and leave a church because we're offended or because we get corrected. We have to say, "Have I been released?" And I'll just tell you that God was so good to Kevin Baird and I because I'm telling you, every time Miss Evelyn would correct me, I would think, "Oh, I am so out of here! I am so out of here!" We'd go home and we'd talk about it, and I'd say, "Okay, okay, I'm telling you, start getting the resumes, sending them out, because I'm tired of this. One. I have to work for her every day. I have to go in there, and she corrects me on what I wear and what I, what my hair looks like, and you know, da 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 da." And God loved me enough to say, You ain't going nowhere. <laughs> Eight and a half years. And it wasn't until John Bevere's teaching on Undercover that I got a hold of two years before we left. And God started working on me and teaching me the difference between submission and obedience. And he told me, you have obeyed her to her face, but you have, you are standing, you know, I'm sitting down on the outside, but bless God, I'm standing up on the inside, you know. And until, the Lord told me, until you sit down on the inside, you aren't going anywhere. I wouldn't release you. You would be a disaster walking out of here. And I'm just telling you, we have to realize that God loves us enough. To make us stay. And I know some of you kids, you think, I can't wait till I get out of this house. I know you think that. I know you think that because I used to think that. But that's why you don't have any money. Because <laughs> God knows that you don't need to get out of that house. Your salvation is in that house, okay? <laughs> right? Okay. He loves you enough to make you stay. Okay. Um Hebrews 13, 17, so if we believe that we're planted where we're supposed to be, it says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. At Legacy, here at Legacy, Pastor and I really believe that God's called us to be the mama and the daddy of this house, and our responsibility is to love you enough to warn you about the cliff that we see coming, and we really believe this verse. We really believe that we will stand before the Lord. I mean, pastor's going to stand up one day. I don't know if y'all will, will be all standing there watching him, but they're going to, and I believe that I will, for the women, I will stand beside him. He'll say, okay, Kevin and Tracy, come on up here. Now, I need to ask you, did you tell him the truth? the whole truth. So help you me. (laughs) So help you God. Um, did you tell him the whole truth? And especially, you know what? I believe he's going to name some names of some people that didn't, that aren't here maybe with us anymore. Hopefully it won't be any of your names. And he'll say, okay, well this situation, what about this Mary Jane? Did you tell her the truth? Yes, sir. We did. And that's why she's not here. She didn't like the truth. But yes, sir, we did tell her. You see, we take that seriously. I mean, you won't believe how many conversations we have at our house about this. Because there's not a day that, Pastor, I don't sit around going, Ooh, I hope somebody messes up this week so we can correct them. (laughs) We don't do that. I mean, if something ever has to be talked to about anybody, you know, to anybody, we, oh, it's just like, oh, dear Jesus. I, I, we pray for days now. We're just like, oh, Lord, please just take care of it. Just take care of it. Lord, we're going to give you time. We're going to give you time. We don't want to have to talk to him. Okay? Because we just don't want to have to do that. But um, we have no desire to control your lives. There was, a, there was a discipleship movement back in the 70s. I don't know if you guys ever heard about that in the, in the charismatic church back in the 70s that was very heavy on authority to the point that like you couldn't, if you wanted to go buy a car, you had to come and submit it to us and you had to like, we would say, mm, no, or or I like it, but not that color. You have to get a different color. Oh I mean, see, that's that was way over, way overboard, okay? Way overboard. And so, you know, when we well, years ago when we were called the cult, um, that's what people thought we were doing. Okay, you know what? That's not what we're doing, is it? Have any Will have I come to you and told you that you couldn't buy a car? Oh, okay, all right, okay. And if I was going to tell anybody, I'd tell Will, <laughs> because he's my little brother. Okay, all right. Now, in this church, so many of you have seen this, the illustration of the triangle. So, for those of you who haven't heard this, I'll tell it real quick. We see it, we see um, authority and correction like this. This is a triangle. The people down here on the bottom are attenders. Attenders and even members. But, you know, they're here on Sunday morning. They love us. You know, they're, they're here. They're, you can count on them. But they have no desire to be in leadership or anything. They're, you know, they're here. But as you begin to go up the triangle, the correction or because the influence goes up in your life, the correction has to go up as well. Um, we don't expect somebody who's been here, you know, who's a member, even if you've been here three or four years and you're a member, but that's, you know, you're here. Hey, pastor, love you. And walk out the door. You're not going to ever be held to the accountability that pastor Kelly and pastor Noah are, or miss Laura. You understand that <laughs> so many people say, Ooh, I wish I was them. Where's Laura? <laughs> she, in the, she, bed. okay. Um, you, you probably, some of you ladies, would not want to be a part of the conversations that I have had, that I've had with them. You see, because when, when you're a staff wife, I mean, I'm going to talk to you about everything you wear. <laughs> Let your mind go with that one for a second, okay? I'm going to talk to you about everything you wear. Because when you walk up on that stage, you are representing God and this church, and you're to be an example. And you know what? Sometimes we look in the mirror this way, but we don't look in the mirror that way. And somebody needs to tell us, oh, well, okay, we need to talk about that, <laughs> okay? And so, so you think, oh, I wish I was in leadership. I wish I could be on staff. And you know what? I believe some, some of you someday will be on staff. But you see, when you're at the top of that triangle, you're talking a level of accountability that you probably haven't even thought of. Okay, I'll just, in case there's any, we're talking undergarments, undergarment. You don't get to choose your undergarments when you're in front of people. You see, you're an example. You can't just let something hang out or... You understand? You have to be scrutinized to that degree. And if some of you think, oh, that's just ridiculous. Well, then you don't understand that the the scripture that talks about a stumbling block. We cannot be a stumbling block. All right? I'm not legalistic. People say I'm legalistic. and I told myself this the other day. I said, girl, I know what legalism is. I wouldn't have this on, this on, this on, this on, this on if I was legalistic. I grew up no pants, no shorts, no makeup, No, didn't cut your hair, didn't wear earrings, didn't wear eyeshadow, didn't wear lipstick, didn't wear fingernail polish. I know what legalism is. We're not legalistic in this church. We are shepherding a flock. And you know what? We don't just shepherd the women, but we shepherd the men. And we want the men to succeed in their godly walk. And we're not going to have women making them stumble. Okay? So... I know some of you are thinking, ooh, that's a hard swallow right there. Okay, well, I'm just telling you, you know, we love you enough and we take our job seriously. All right. Another thing is Ephesians 5.21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. We should all have people besides our pastors who can speak the truth to us in love. Did you hear that? You need to walk up to somebody else. You need to pray about this. You need to go up to somebody and say, "I, you know what, I give you permission as a friend of mine to tell me the truth. Tell me the truth about, about my life. Can anyone ask you about your attitude? Can they hold you accountable on your stewardship of your finances? Now I'm talking of your husband and wife. I'm not saying everybody should know your finances, but can your husband look at you or can your wife look at you and go, honey, that's not in our budget. How are we going to pay our tithe this week when you just went off and spent $500 on Da, da 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 da, you know, it. We ha- and so, well, you know what? Ain't nobody gonna tell me. I bless God. I make the money in this house, and I'll spend it any way I want to. Okay, and you'll get to go around that mountain many times, and your credit'll be really bad. And when you want to buy something that you really need, your credit'll be so badly bad that you can't do it. You see, accountability isn't just to control you. It's to discipline you to be better. It's to discipline you to be successful in life. Okay, this is another one. Can anybody come up to you and tell you, I think you're really, really heading toward gossip? This conversation right here. I, I, you know, can, can I talk to you for just a second and pull you over and go, I, th- I think we need to change the subject. Can anybody do that to you? Or are you going to go, Or, or what we'll do is we'll go, oh, you're probably right. And then we'll go home and think, how dare they? How dare they? And then you won't speak to them for a month, okay? For, you know the the saying that says friends don't let friends drive drunk? Or what's the other one? Friends don't let friends eat imported shrimp? <laughs> or whatever that is. Um, okay, friends don't let friends fall off a cliff, okay? All right, why is it so hard for us to receive correction? Guess what number one is? Pride. Nobody corrects me, or the uh, the one that we love so much are in this church. You obviously don't mean me. Okay, um, that's a whole message You'll, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about. That's one of pastors' best messages. It's like when he dies, that's going to be like his classic. You know, you obviously don't mean me. Okay, number two is embarrassment because you know what? It embarrasses us that we didn't see it in ourselves, and that somebody had to correct us, and we just get all. Oh. Oh, you know, and we're really mad at ourselves. We're not really mad at them, but we just get embarrassed. Okay, number three, ungodly beliefs. That's like this. When somebody corrects you, you immediately go into, oh, I'm such a loser. Okay, I'm a loser. I never do anything right. See, they hate me. See, everybody in this church hates me. They're all talking about me. And what that is, that's an ungodly belief. That's not what anybody, nobody said that to you. That is a problem that's down deep in you that needs to get whole because you don't believe in your purpose and that God has a great plan for you. I could preach on all these for an hour, but I can't. Number four, our motives are challenged. Oh, one of my husband and I biggest fights, oh, a couple years ago. I can't remember what I did, but he said, and I know you were thinking da, 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 da. And I was like, uh-uh, no, I wasn't. And he's was like, yeah, yeah, I do. I, that, that's exactly what you were thinking. I was like. It is not what I was thinking, okay? I know what I was thinking, and that ain't what I was thinking, okay? It really upsets us when somebody challenges our motives, okay? Now, the hard thing is, and remember my story about this? I won't go into the whole story. But if somebody sends out an ugly email on you or somebody says something, and you know how a fight starts. There's like this much truth, and then you start piling on, piling on pretty soon, you know? You've lost the truth in this whole two-hour fight somewhere, but... The question is, was there any truth in the comment? Because you know what? Sometimes I do try to tell my husband what to do. I do. I know that's hard to believe. (laughs) But sometimes I really do think I know better. And so I'm like, you know, he's like, you're trying to tell me what to do. I, I am not. Okay. Okay. And maybe at that exact moment I wasn't, but it's not like I haven't in the past, okay? So that's why it's hard. And then this is the last one. Sometimes we're misjudged, okay? One time, Miss Evelyn corrected me on something that I'm okay. It just absolutely was not. It wasn't the truth. It just she she speculated and 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 what it was. Oh, and, oh, I just remember for those of you in my cell, Stephanie and Casey. Okay, remember how we talked about? It's not that David said I've slain. 10,000, so all his thousand, me by 10,000, somebody else said it. Somebody else said to Miss Evelyn, I think you better watch that Tracy Baird. And they speculated and they told her, which caused it her to get offended. See, she didn't, even, she didn't even see it in me. She didn't discern that was in me because it wasn't in me. But she thought I was, anyway, I won't go into the whole story, but she, she really misjudged me. Well, you know what? Sometimes that happens. The question is, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do about, you know, the perfect story in the Bible about Hannah, when she went to the temple and she's crying, wanting a son and she's crying. And Eli walks up and goes, you're drunk. Get out of here. You're drunk. Now I was thinking about that today. You know what? Maybe Hannah was a sanguine. Seriously. I'm not trying to be funny. Maybe she was just kind of a drama queen. And maybe she's in the, in there crying and, 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 you know, it didn't say she was the only person in the temple. So imagine you got a whole bunch of people down here praying and she's over here. You know, I mean, who knows what she was doing? But you see, you see how sometimes that may not be appropriate. And now Eli didn't do it right. He didn't say it right. He said, you're drunk. He probably should have pulled her off to the side and said, honey, do you have a problem? You know, let me help you here. Um, But you see, maybe she was out of order. It doesn't say. But the thing is, when you are misjudged, You don't get to just get up and walk out of the church. You don't. Church is the easiest place for people to get up and leave. You don't get up and quit your job. Just because, well, some people do. But most people don't. (laughs) Most people don't because they need that paycheck. Most people take a bunch of bunk at work. That they would, that they. Anybody talk to me like that at church? I am so out of here. Okay, well, you know what? Then you're not, you're going to go around that because you're going to go to another church and then you're going to. Somebody's going to say something to you there, and somebody's going to say something to you there, and somebody's going to say something to you there. So go ahead and learn the lesson now. All right. So when you're misjudged, and I was, and I wish I had done it better, but right now, because my husband has misjudged me a couple of times, you know, and I just say, Lord, that wasn't my heart. But you know what? I'm not going to argue. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm I'm going to let you avenge me. Because, and John Bevere said it so great the other day, he said, um, how we handle offense determines our future. Okay, we're all going to be offended sometimes. Okay, um, why do authorities fail to correct us as needed? Number one, past, past harsh authorities in their lives. Most people that do not uh, discipline their children very effectively is because they've been disciplined harshly. Number two, passive temperaments. Number three, they don't want to seem heavy-handed. Number four, they want to be friends with those that they are over. Okay? I don't know if this is in your notes. Authorities are called to be shepherds. Now, we're not called to be sheriffs. Okay? Because I used to be that, and that's not right. God didn't call me to be the sheriff, but he also didn't call me to be a co-sheep. All right? Parents are not called to be co-children. Teachers aren't called to be co-students. And I know that Cindy is going through this right now. Principals aren't called to be co-teachers. They have to step up over now the teachers and make decisions. They don't get to be everybody's bus buddy anymore, okay? And shepherds aren't called to be co-sheep. Okay, now, we fail at our jobs as authorities because we desire the approval of man more than we desire the approval of God. How many parents want to be their kids' friends? That doesn't work. Kaylin and I, we laughed our way all the way to school today. I mean, we have great times, but you know what? She knows there's a line and don't cross it. And I asked my boys, I was telling Kelly about this the other day, I asked my boys a couple of time, a couple of years ago, and I realize I haven't raised all my children, but I'm believing Kaylin's gonna just plow on through and be awesome too. But um, why did my boys, because people ask us that, how, how did your boys turn out well? I mean, like, what did you do? I don't know I wish I could write a book and make money off of it Um, but the only thing I could say I asked him and Clayton and Tyler both said um, you and daddy made the expectations extremely clear and we knew the consequences of our actions ahead of time and Cindy I was thinking about that first day of school what does a teacher always do she lays out the rules don't you hate that on the first day of school it's like every class all it is is here's your sheet of paper you know and you have (laughs) you have and but but it's important because she can't discipline on some you on something she didn't tell you was going to happen and that's where we mess up is we don't tell our kids what the consequences are going to be and then we just make it up as we go along and they're sensing that we're making it up as we go along and that's that's frustrating to everybody all right okay how to receive correction properly Admit that you need correction and always will as long as you live. Can I get an amen? Okay. Recognize that God uses the corrective words of others to help you overcome the deceitfulness of sin. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's what we see. We have blind spots and we just don't see them. Number three, refuse to respond defensively. Okay. Just take it. Say thank you. I mean, say thank you. <laughs> say thank you to your boss. I appreciate it. And I heard somebody, I won't get, tell their name, but somebody got corrected at work not too long ago. And, and it was not done in a very good way. They kind of did it in a public setting and was really not very good. But the person just sat there and said, thank you. I appreciate it. She was misjudged on several issues, but she just kept saying, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. I will do better. You see, you disarm. If, if they're if they're being ugly, you just have disarmed them because you're not fighting back. You're going to let God avenge you. Okay. Number four, <laughs> refuse to j- respond despairingly, which is the. Oh. <laughs> I know, I'm such a loser. Oh my gosh. I'm never going to be anything. I I just, you just just go ahead and kick me out of the church. That's fine. Just go ahead and fire me. I know, I know, I'm terrible. Okay. Don't do that. Okay? I've seen some people do that. Okay? Don't do that. Okay? Because then you're like, okay, there's the door by. Okay. Um, Okay. Wow. that, That was over the top. Okay. Number five. Accept the correction as coming from God, okay. Even if it was misjudged. Number six, resolve by God's grace to benefit from, and grow as a result of this correction. Just like the whole thing about the baby shower, man, I will never forget that as long as I live. And I'm, I'm tell, I am rocking at a baby shower now. I'm telling you, I am like all about the the, the little mama, and it's oh, you know, oh, let's all look at her, and okay. I, See, I learned from that, okay? All right, now here comes a here comes part for all the mamas, the daddies, the teachers, whoever's, the bosses, and children. Listen, because someday you will be all that. How to properly give correction. Um, first of all, remember what it's like to be on the other side of the chair, of the desk. Remember what it feels like to be corrected. Number one, correct in love. Don't let your frustration drive your words. Deal with any personal issues in your heart. Before you speak correction. Also pray for the Lord to give you a love and an understanding of this person. I cannot go into this whole story because I know I'm out, of, I'm out of time. But when we have revelation of something, it is so clear to us. And when somebody else isn't getting it, we just, we just know and we speculate. We know, it's really speculation, that they're just in rebellion. Rebellion. I mean, how could you not know i've just gone into, I did a teaching one time many years ago on modesty, and two weeks later, at a church event, a leadership wife came in with a skirt on up to here and a top down to there and everything hanging out <laughs> and I didn't handle it well because in my heart I was like oh my gosh. She she heard exactly, Oh, I just spent two whole weeks in ladies ministry. Talk. I mean I was yell, I was hot. I was oh, I was like Oh, oh I was so upset. And I and I and I, I chilled for about an hour until somebody else came up and said, "Can you see, look at her?" You know, no no no. And then, of course, course I took that as my ammunition then to go over and, like, you know. And I didn't do it right. I should have, should have, should have, should have, and have made it right. Called her years since. Apologized. Said it was my fault. She said, oh, please. I I said, you know what? I don't even want to say it. It, Well, let's not even talk about what you did. What I did was over the top. It was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Because I went up to her and I said, put a shirt on. Which she had tied around her neck, so it's not like she couldn't already put it on. Okay, um, but see, I, see, even in the, I digress. See, okay, all right. So, but see, some people don't connect. Anyway, when I finally got to have a talk with her a week later, because she came to me, honestly, it was like she honestly did not connect the dots. I mean, I could see it on her face. She was like, "I thought you meant at church." I said, it was a church picnic and she went, but that's not church. And, and, and it wasn't, it really wasn't like, that's not church. It was like, duh. It was like pastor with a light bulb going on. I mean, she really had not, you know, she had not connected. <laughs> she had not, she had not connected the dots. And so many times when, see, when you're correcting somebody, we we just think they're in rebellion, and they're not in rebellion. They just don't know. And, and that day, see, that was another situation. And who ended up looking like the horse's heinie? Me. I looked like the horse's heinie, not her, okay? I was the one that did it wrong. So I'm just telling you, for all those people correcting, think it through before you do it, because I was wrong, okay? All right, correct with the redemptive purpose. Pray that this correction can be a means for this person's further progress in the Lord. As I said there, do not rush and do it in the flesh, okay, obviously, y'all could see by my prancing around up here that I was in the flesh, okay when you're at when you 're that mad, shut up, okay, don't do anything. don't spank your children when you're that mad. don't correct anybody. don't tell your husband what you think about him, you know when you 're that mad, okay. Um, don't let it be personal. Do not avenge yourself. Okay, we talked about that. Matthew 18, we all know Matthew 18 says, if you know somebody's got something to get you, you're supposed to go to him. Remember that the goal is to always win your brother, not win the fight. Okay, we want to be reconciled. Even if the person ends up leaving, they quit their job or they leave the church, our goal is that when we see him at Lowe's a month from now, we can actually act okay because we haven't acted like a, patoot when we leave, okay? All right, and begin with words of affirmation. You probably already heard this. Try to always start with two positives before you have to give a negative. Now, uh, next one, speak as one who has been rescued and now as one who is immune to the problem. I try to do that, and hopefully that shows in my teaching. I try to tell on myself of all the things I've screwed up on, so that I can teach you how to do it rather than going, you know, oh, I have never made a mistake. But now you people, you little lowly people, uh, make sure you do it right. Okay. So, um, and, and sometimes my personality, I'll, I'll use that a lot. I totally know what it's like to be too loud and to talk too much. And so I, I can really understand what you're going through. So let me just help you out here. And kind of present it like you're helping them, not you're spanking them. Okay. And then correct privately, usually. Proverbs seven five says open rebuke is better than secret love. Teachers know this very well. You try to correct a child privately. But if they're going to show out in class and basically tell you, hang it on your ear, teacher, you know, then they deserve to be, excuse me, you know, you right now go stand in the corner. You know, and I know they don't do that a lot in school anymore because, oh, we don't want to hurt their little psyches. <laughs> If they're going to pick up a desk and throw it at me, I'm going to hurt something, okay? <laughs> and um, and honestly, you know, Pastor, Pastor, when I asked Pastor about this, I said, I want to make sure I say this right. He said to me, you know, we really strive to never embarrass somebody, you know, because most people are not connecting the dots. If they say something out of line, it's because... The light bulb hasn't gone on. It's not willful rebellion. But there have been a couple of incidences in a small group setting where I was teaching one time. And I made a point. I'm sorry. It was pastor's notes, y'all. You know how it is when you're teaching school leaders. You're just basically reading and facilitating pastor's notes. And the person looked at me and goes, ain't going to happen. I ain't doing it. And I said, well, then I guess you won't be promoted in through the school of leaders and you know and oh you shouldn't have said that to him pub- pub- publicly well if he's going to say out loud psh, I'm going to do it well then I'm going to say out loud well then I guess you won't be going through all right so you now granted you have to be careful how you say it you can't be ugly if just because they're ugly to you don't mean you get to be ugly to them back all right correct with well-chosen words do not be flippant which is really, see, that's really hard for me. Because my personality, I can flip it off, buddy. I can be sarcastic to you. Do not be flippant with words or haughty in your attitude. See, I could get all like, you know what? I could, see, I could get like that real fast, you know. Like, I'm the boss, and who are you? You know, I could do, that's not right. Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. And Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. And then I'm going end with this. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. I didn't have that one down there. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. All right. So, Tonight, I just want us to close in prayer, if you wouldn't mind just all standing. And pastor's message on Sunday was about um, revelation knowledge, about the light bulb coming on. So that's what I want to pray right now. Lord, I just thank you for this teaching tonight. Lord, I thank you for the things that it has reminded me of. Lord, mostly I thank you that it shows me the progress that I've made. Lord, thank God. Thank God I'm not where I used to be. I'm not exactly where I want to be. I've got room for growth yet, but Lord, thank you that I'm not who I used to be. And Lord, so many people in this room are not where they used to be. And so Lord, right now, I ask that you would give us revelation knowledge, that you would turn on the light bulb tonight in our hearts, whether we are the ones being corrected or the ones giving correction. And Lord, I truly believe that some people in this room, this lesson came to them on a Wednesday night because Thursday, Friday, Saturday or Sunday, They're gonna have an opportunity to either be corrected or give correction. Lord, help us to remember what we've heard tonight. Let it become revelation to us. May we have a sweet spirit, whether we are receiving it or giving the correction. May we connect the dots. May we ask questions in a teachable spirit. If someone corrects us and we just don't see it, and and it just seems like absolutely not, they're so wrong, Lord, let us say, could you please help me? I'm not seeing what I've done to bring this correction to me. Could you help me? I really want to do this right. Lord, help us. Lord, and I just thank you that we're going to go to the next level. You are releasing so much to this church. You are releasing so much to these people in this room. But, Lord, we have to pass the test to get there. Our destiny awaits us. These are awesome days. And, Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to serve you and to be corrected. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. You are dismissed.